Hey friends, welcome back to Ill Natured, a true crime podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Alyssa. has a story for us a two-parter right a two-parter baby at least two and i'm very anxious to hear it she doesn't like to tell me a lot about the cases she covers which is good i like right. the um shock factor i like yeah. to to really give you the goods in the, online on the lives yeah on I'm, air i'm ready to be okay. shocked and, so uh, <laughs> We haven't recorded in forever because Dude. we recorded a whole bunch at one time. Can I tell you something? What? I hated it because it doesn't force us to hang out every weekend. I know. I, well, I thought we were weeks. still going to record and then, well, just life, you know, life. But, <laughs> but I am glad to be back in the corner recording. Yes, back in the corner. I was, All right. Well, I did always like the corner as a child. Oh. The grandparents will tell you. Throwing crackers at folks. Ooh, sorry, Miss Clueball. Really, if you're listening, we're friends on Facebook, but seriously, I do apologize. I think I've probably apologized. She told me earlier, and I couldn't stop picturing, like, are we talking about, like, loose crackers? Mm-hmm. A pa- it was a packet. Yeah, it was, like, sealed. So, in middle school, we would get, like, we'd go down the salad bar line. Yeah. I always like to get the good bacon bits. If you know me in middle school, you know how freaking crazy I am. Like, it's just, I'm a strange dude. But it's middle fine. School. It's middle school. And uh, <laughs> my friend was sitting beside me. Her name was Layla. I'm not going to shout her last name out but me and Layla were beside each other mm-hmm. and I I don't know why I did it I can't I literally cannot remember why I did it but I picked up this pack of salad crackers that were so tasty and delicious um the buttery ones I'm picturing what are they called the uh, captain yeah anywho I don't know wafers captain wafers I was thinking that but I was like that's wrong so. that's right but she walked by me, Miss Glueball walked by me, and I just chunked the pack of crackers at her. I was like for fun. 12 years old, 11 years old. Yeah. And she turns around and looks at us and she's like, who did that? And I was like, she did it. I, and Layla was like crying. I do. I, that was not good on me either. For, yeah, I did. She blamed her for you. I was. But I did blame her. And obviously she knew it wasn't true and she snatched me up by my arm and drug me out of the cafeteria so fast. And I was telling Michelle that she was in my my advisor for the next three years in middle school, but we're good now. Middle school are sh- it's, it's strange times. Strange. I've been doing a bit of subbing and it's, it's strange. Strange times for us all. Middle school is my favorite, though. I hate middle school. It's my favorite age. Because you know they're not going to be that way forever. And I love to see them once they get past it, you know. And I just, I like middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, as much as you can like middle schoolers. But I just remember how hard those days were. And the older they get, the worse they got. Like, if I was ever to be a teacher, I would have to stop at, like, what? No. When I did after school program, I loved my kids, but I didn't have to be around them. Like, my age group was either first grade, which I loved. Right. And fourth grade. Like, my fourth grade boys, they all loved Miss Alyssa. Let me tell you, they were my babies. Okay. And if any of y'all, like, if you're, you know who I am. 
and I took care of your kid in Eastern Day. I just want to know. I just want to tell you thank you. I love those kids. Like, I still, like, I'll see pictures of them all the time. And I'm like, to sub and be at the school because they're all my little tiny friends. And we have so much fun. Yes, my babies. They're my babies. We played Hangman. Um, most of the day on Thursday. Like, I was like, okay, y'all got to finish your work. You got to hustle. It's the thing with kids. As long as you know how to bribe them. You yeah, know? you get them to do, your, do their yeah. work really quick. And you're like, here's your And then I gave them a Let's do something fun that we don't do like, in class. Yeah. But anyways. Okay, all that aside, that's just a little short aside. Uh, you know, uh, for our first tangent of the episode. First. And it might be the last. I'm feeling very focused now that we're in the corner. I've been all willy-nilly this morning. We had, you can't even qualify as brunch. It was lunch, basically. We had French toast and we all slept like, because it's rainy in mm-hmm. this. Yeah, it is. But now I'm feeling alert, awake, and ready to be disturbed, probably. Oh, right? well, let's get into it then. Okay. So today we are covering the story of John List, the man who massacred his entire family and was on the run for 18 years. 18. Now, 18 years. Now, if you were with us for the boy in the box case, then you know that I got super hyped when I briefly mentioned... You, I knew I'd heard this name This before. case, yes, okay. because it's freaking bananas. Uh-huh. And B-A-N-A-N-A-S. so... N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> and so, I'm, I'm just really excited, and I'm just excited to tell y'all how this dude was finally caught. Like, get into the nitty-gritty of it. I, I'm just really excited. I'm excited he was caught. So, me too. I have some unsolved cases coming up. Yikes. Yeah. I don't know. Well, me too, I guess. But we're just going to jump right into it today. No long intro. Um, Besides the tangent, we just went on for seven minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, December 7th, 1971, mm-hmm. two officers were dispatched out to 431 Hillside Avenue in Westfield, New Jersey, to a home known as the Breeze Knoll Mansion. The caller was worried about the List family, the family that lived in the home, because there hadn't been any activity for about a month, but there were lights left burning in the house this entire time, and throughout the weeks, lights started to die. You know, they would start to just die out. Right. Because they didn't have LED bulbs. Right? The LED bulbs, they say they last 20 years. Whatever. I change LED bulbs every three or four months. I don't know why they play. Anyway, All right. No LED bulbs. No LED bulbs. Yeah, they didn't have those. This was around 10 p.m. when the officers arrived at the mansion. Upon entering the home, they heard organ music playing over the intercom system and noticed a foul, a very faint but foul smell. And in the initial report, the officers took note that the house was unusually cold as well. And it was completely dark. I don't know if I said that, but it was like completely Tell me dark. What season we're in. We it's it was December okay. in New Jersey. So it was cold. probably snowing, snowing. or close yeah. to snowing, yes. I see at least. They started walking through the house and observed dried blood on the pantry door. And they went through the pantry and then through the kitchen where they ended up in the ballroom where the smell was the worst. In the ballroom? Yes, I'll explain wow. the mansion in a little okay. bit. Just told you all the Oh, yes. I'm very interested. Yeah. It's, it, it was gorgeous from what I could tell. It was, wow. 
When they walked in the ballroom, they discovered four bodies that were obviously dead laying on sleeping bags. Three of the bodies were laying vertical, and the fourth one was above the others, like, at their heads. And I can post, I have crime scene photos of this as well, so, um, you'll, I'll be able, you'll see all this on the Instagram, so make sure you're following us at Ill Natured Pod or on the Facebook group. Yes. Because we'll post pictures of all of this if you are a little confused on anything I say. I have tons of photos for this case. So, uh, three bodies were laying there, like I said, vertically, and the fourth was laying horizontally above them. So, it was like this, yeah. and then like this. When they searched the rest of the house, they found another body on the third floor in a storage room. After discovering the bodies, police realized the only person out of the List family that was missing was the father, John List. Mm. So, they had realized that... All the bodies in the homes were the family members of the list, except for John. He was mm. not found. They also found a five-page note addressed to the pastor of his church, written and signed by John List himself, explaining that the bloodied bodies on the ballroom floor were the family members, and one upstairs was his mother. 45-year-old wife, Helen, 16-year-old daughter, Patricia, 15-year-old son, John Jr., 13-year-old son, Frederick, and 85-year-old mother, Alma. His mother? His own mother. He killed his own? All dead, and John List was nowhere to be found. One thing John List also had on his side that police didn't was time. One month ahead of police. Wow. They had been... The the date at the top of the note was, like, November 9th of 1971. So, like, a whole month ahead. So, this must have been a family that kind of kept to themselves. Oh, we'll get were, into okay, all of that. Okay, mm-hmm. So, there was no evidence of where he could be at. The investigation had nothing. So, that is where we are at right now. That is the beginning of this case. Now that I have set the scene for what he did, I want to go back and get the entire story. All right. First things first, there is not a lot of information about John List that I could find. Right. I did list, you know, I searched all over Google through articles. I listened to a podcast, read a book or two, but a lot of Silly information varied. Like, online, his birthday is even inconsistent throughout sources. Really? Uh, yeah. That's always crazy to me. Yeah. But I am going to base most of my information from a book called Death Sentence, The Inside Story of the John List Murders by Joe Sharkey. Okay. What a great last name. <laughs> An American Justice episode to save their souls. And the podcast that was released earlier this year, Father Wants Us Dead. Father, I'll have to listen. It's really good. And I think it's like a six or seven part miniseries. It's yeah. really good. So, I got all, the, most of my information is from those three sources. Nope. John List was born on September 17th, 1925 in Bay City, Michigan. Alma was 39 when she married a 60-year-old man named John Frederick List, who happened to be her second cousin. Okay. Way to take it to the next level. What's her name? Alma. Way to take it to the next level. 
Almost. You know that I told you in an episode before, the levels are already always surpassed around the parts of here, you know? Yeah. Always surpassing those levels, baby. Not your first cousin, not your second cousin. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's cousin and then first cousin. That's it. That's what I was trying to and think of. I just watched cousin. Mean Girls the other day. I had a whole Matilda, Mean Girls. I can't remember the other one. Duh. I took, I started taking a me day every week where I take a long bath. I do my nails. You know, um, whatever, and watch movies. Yeah. Yeah. John's father was actually married before Alma, but his first wife had gotten terminally ill, and (laughs) Alma was hired to be their live-in nurse. Oh, goodness gracious of love. The plot thickens. Yeah. Yeah. He actually had a son named William George from his first marriage that was the same age as Alma. And in many sources I read, it claimed that he was the only child. So Alma, it, I mean, technically he was Alma's only child, but he did have that half-brother, William George. Right. I don't know. Like that, stuff like that varies. Yeah. They don't mention William in a lot of sources the yep. book did, yep. but a lot of the online sources didn't. Yep. But... He was the only child that grew up in the home, from what I could tell. So, he was basically an only child. Yeah. The family was German-American and were very devout, strict Lutherans. John List recalls in his book, Collateral Damage, and yes, he wrote a book. I did not read it. Good. Being (laughs) pretty lonely because he never really socialized with anyone outside of his family or the church. So, like you said, that family needed, like, had to have been close, you know, to themselves. He was always to himself. He, you know, they, he, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of a loner. Mm -hmm. He was raised, like, super prideful. Like, he was in the book and the podcast. They make very, very, like, they, Trying to make it very known to the audience that just he grew up not wanting to show weakness. Like, he had to be perfect. He needed to work hard. Mm, 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 His father was super strict. And his mother was completely the opposite and was, like, overprotective. Yeah. Helicopter. Yes. Before helicopters became a thing. Exactly. (laughs) I read a few things about his upbringing that had a lasting effect that caused him to turn out the way he did as an adult. Yeah. But not like the murder part of it. More like his tidiness and overbearing controlling. Did you say tidiness? Yes. He's like a super tidy dude. It's always so crazy to me to find men that are tidy. Oh, just like, wait. He's like, um, and of course you'll see that he's really controlling. Right. He's always got to be put together. He's very professional. Worries about what other people think. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, yes. Detrimental effect. When John was a child, the family lived in an apartment building, Mm -hmm. and they rented out the top floor. Uh So, while he was at home, he was being made to sleep in the parlor of the home on a couch because it was only like a one bedroom Uh or a one bedroom apartment on the bottom floor. Gotcha. And it had the parlor and a bathroom and maybe a kitchen. Yeah. 
So he had to always, like, he always had to clean up. He had to put his sheets away, his blankets away, books, personal belongings, clothing, everything. Like, everything that you normally leave out, right. he woke up and had to put it away before going to school. So he grew up learning that he should never, like, basically, like, leave as if you were never here. Like, clean up. Can you imagine? Do you make your bed? No. Okay, good. I'm, the only time I make my bed is when I change my sheets. Yes. Yep. Yep. I was going to start at one point. It was after the kids were going to school. I was like, oh, I'm going to make the beds. And I was like, why? You get right back in it like 12 hours What later. does it matter? Let us know if you make your bed. I, I love it. My sister makes her bed, you know, and leaves a room looking. I'm oh, I'm like, sure people are listening. Oh, here we go again with this trashy girl. She never makes her stop. bed. No, I don't. I don't have time for that. Who, <laughs> Sorry. Who, who does? I don't work and I don't have time to get up and make my bed. Get a grip on life right now. Right. I don't know. I love it though. If you do, it would be nice sometimes. Just don't be hating on me because I don't, you know? Because I don't got times. Mm -hmm. I do not got the time. Mm -mm. <laughs> Here I am podcasting, you know. Um, this is work. It is. It is. Well, and the best job ever. Okay, sorry. That was my, that tangent was my fault. I take full That's responsibility. Fine. We're going to jump back John into this it. Real particular. Yeah. Real neat dude. Because of like, not neat, like cool, but you know, neat, keep tight. tight. Yeah. Well, the tenant that lived upstairs when John was a child said that he was the neatest little boy that she had ever seen in her life. And she said, quote, you never knew he was even around, end quote. This tenant isn't the only person that described John that way. And so, first of all, I want to take a break and say, like, how weird it is for, like, a little boy. Like, well, think about I'm sitting here thinking my kid's in there. No telling what they're doing to my house right now. Exactly. My husband's golfing. And, and, and it, can you imagine saying that you never even knew that Squiggles what? was around what? or Liam was around. Please. These kids make themselves known first thing in the morning and they leave their mark all over my house. Yeah. Well, classmates said that he was there, but he just kind of blended into the background. Another oh. trait he carried into adulthood. Mm. One really sad thing I read about John's childhood was John's father, uh, John Frederick, was like a douche dude. Like, really? He was horrible. He used Alma to communicate with John for him and what? only referred to John as the boy. He never said oh. his name. He never said son. The boy. That makes me want to cry. Isn't it? I, I have tears coming up. John Frederick also expected him to be seen and not heard, excel in school, and hold up the good family name in church. John wasn't even allowed to go trick-or-treating. I mean, just, like, goofy stuff like that. What? Usually, John was with his mother holding hands while John Frederick led them into church. They never walked in together. Like, John would go in and Alma and... Or John Frederick would go in right, and Dad Alma... And yeah, mm -hmm, and Alma and John holding hands always followed behind. So keep in mind, like how close he is with this his mom. This structure makes me nervous. Like I, my skin's crawling a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeeky, you know. Yeah, we live in chaos over here, <laughs> and it works. I mean, we somehow are living right. Yeah, and everybody's fed. Now let's talk about his mom really quick. Like I said, she was super protective of John. If John was there, Alma was usually there too. She never really let him get out of her sight much. One Sunday afternoon, 
um, or multiple, really, I guess. Right. Instead of going out to play with other kids after church, he would sit in the kitchen with his mom and read or something while other kids played. Socialization is really important. And oh. a relative relative of theirs said that, quote, his mother was afraid he would catch a cold or even get his hands dirty. Oh. She watched him like a hawk. After a while, no one even asked him to play, end quote. Oh. Isn't that sad? So sad. That hurts me. His first time really getting any taste of freedom was when he started high school and had to go downtown to go into school. But he still only had very few friends, and he never dated, and people barely remembered him. They described him as tall, nerdy, and deeply religious. And they added that he always dressed really sharply, and but, like I said, tended to stay by himself. Mm -hmm. A classmate, like I said, quoted, he just blended into the scenery, end quote. He joined the Army after graduating high school. And around this time, it was normal for guys his age as seniors in high school to graduate early and right. join the military. Yeah. John was actually interested in doing this, but Alma said he could not drop out of school or graduate early to join the military. She was like, no, no, no. Mom's like, I can't come with you to the military, so no. I'm keeping around as long as possible. Yeah. John Liss seemed to do well in the military, so he did end up going. It was just after he graduated until his you know, until he could do what he wanted to. Right. But he did seem to do well in the army in the sense that he used, he's used to all the bossing around. all the, Right, the structure. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. He had to be clean and tidy on time, you all know. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly, I'm pretty sure, what it says in either the book or the podcast. That yep. he literally thrived yeah. from structure. Yeah. But... He did say that he was offended by the way soldiers talked. Bless in them. reference to their cussing. Their cussing. Their cussing. Mm. In the book, this is what I read, and I thought I would add it because of the reference of where he was, and you'll giggle. So, hold on. You'll giggle. Quote, in his army life, private list... John, also exhibited some of the social characteristics that would cause some acquaintances to use words like prissy and pious. Pious. Mm -hmm. Pious. Okay. I don't yeah. know what that means. What that it mean? means um like uh, um, religious. Like oh. overly religious. Okay. And so judgmental even possibly. I know a few of those. So, Percy and Pius to describe him later in life. List recalled in a privately published memoir, which is the collateral damage I was telling you about earlier. His dis Don't buy it. Don't. It's like $200. <laughs> I think it's really ridiculous. What? Maybe not. Maybe not that much, but I didn't buy it, so I wouldn't His disdain mm -hmm. for fellow soldiers in basic training, none other than... Fort Benning, Georgia. Stop it. <laughs> you for real? Yeah, for we real. We accidentally pulled in there off 85. I always do know. that when I'm going I like Columbus and stuff. And they were so ugly to us. And then Will has a carrying permit. He had his weapon. You don't need it now. Beside him. What? I don't watch the news. You don't need it in Georgia. You don't need a carrying permit? Not a pistol. Well, let me go put my pistol in the car. You best then, believe, folks. baby. I'm about to go bit. Bye. Did you what? What you going to do? Bite it, baby. Oh, uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. Yeah. But he says that the fellow soldiers 
this is part of the quote, uh-huh. who cursed or exhibited other forms of what he regarded as unseemly or crude behavior. Uh-huh. Among those at Fort Benning, he remembered with disapproval was a quote, another, I mean, a part of the quote, tall, red-faced hillbilly platoon sergeant whose language offended young lists more delicate ears oh goodness okay and it went on to basically say that to get anywhere in the military such as ranks had nothing to do with education or intelligence or even proper upbringing so you know what he just went on and on and on oh he is so judgmental yes get over yourself while in louisiana miserable as hell in training for the army he is told his father had fallen incredibly ill and died. Oh, gosh. He was granted emergency leave and went back to Bay City for the funeral. The tenant remembered that John showed up no emotion regarding his father's death and didn't seem to be grieving at all. Well, I expect he didn't. I wouldn't. His yeah. Didn't, I, I mean, I can't blame him there. I was like, do you blame him? She no. said, well, she said that he was also acting as nothing had even happened at all. But, like, for him, detached. Really yeah, he, did, he detached. Right. Which you'll see later on. Like he detached from his father, so this death meant nothing to him. Right. Keep that in mind. He he's good at detaching. Mm-hmm. After this, in 1945, he, he was talking about detaching earlier. Aren't we always? <laughs> All right. Uh, he was shipped overseas to fight in World War II and claimed that he and Fellers. <laughs> Feller, yes. He and Fowler soldiers. <laughs> oh, that's y'all, my favorite. Y'all know I try not to talk way too like like wild on here, but sometimes it slips out on accident. <laughs> I can't quit laughing, Fowler. <laughs> so Fowler soldiers were captured by Germans. <laughs> Why do I gotta move? I gotta get moved faster. Well, this oh, is it, cool. Um, and that, friends, is how Alyssa talks. Which is, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> While he was overseas fighting in World War II, he claimed that him and fellow soldiers were captured by Germans as prisoner, prisoners of war. Oh. And, were, and then was awarded a Bronze Star after this incident. He was bragging about this award in his memoir without noting that he wasn't the only one who received it. So, like, in the memoir, he's like, I received the Bronze Star after the after I was captured as a prisoner of war. But, like, he never mentioned that there were other soldiers also. Your whole platoon. He was designed as a soldier morale a year earlier and was given out to the entire Army Division. So, this was... This award was apparently designed as a, a soldier morale. Like, it was given out to everyone. Was it like a medal? Yeah. Oh. He finally returned home in 1946. After his small stint in the Army, he got into guns. Mm. Of all of these guns, he had purchased an Austrian Steyr maybe, pistol in 1944 that he wouldn't touch again for almost three decades. So keep this in mind. After the army, he decided he was going to go back to school or go to school in the first place. Excuse me, go to college. Right. And Alma pushed him towards accounting. 
In college, it was no different for John. Classmates like Robert Clark mm-hmm. had a hard time remembering his name. And one of them even said that he couldn't even remember meeting him. Even though John would mention Robert Clark and these other students by name and letters. Like, he would mention all these oh. people and these people are like, I have no idea who this even is. Who is this guy? Yeah. Alma would also visit John for a weekend at least once a month, which was a three-hour bus ride to his campus. Those weekends, they spent every waking moment together. And I only mention this because throughout my research, it just kept making a point to mention how close and, like, close John and Alma were at one point before everything happened. This is, I mean, he had a really close relationship with his mom, okay? Yeah. His mother. His mother. One thing I did find surprising was John actually joined a fraternity his senior year in college. And the fraternity was more of a business majors, and it was named Delta Sigma Pi. And there were about 50 members. So let me take you down the frat's history because this was, a, like I said, a professional fraternity. Not the typical frat you think of. Right. And described on the fraternity's website, it was described as America's best business fraternity. I also took this right off of their website as well. Quote, Delta Sigma Pi is the nation's largest and first co-ed professional business fraternity that encourages personal and professional development of men and women pursuing careers in business through professional service, scholastic, and social events. Oh, like a networking thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was not, like I said, a social social fraternity that threw huge ragers. Yeah, they weren't getting in trouble for hazing and raping and all the things. This was like a very professional one. So if John was joining one, of course he'd be joining this one. Right, right, right. In June, Lord forbid he have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Heaven forbid. Oh no. He graduated with his bachelor's degree in June of 1950 and then was awarded his MBA in September because he was in an accelerated majors or master's program oh. with Michigan. Okay. His volunteer his volunteering and participating in Delta Sigma Pi paid off. Ernest and Ernest, a very prestigious accounting firm, hired John List as a junior junior auditor, and he was getting paid fifty six dollars and twenty five cent a week, which is around six hundred and seventy five dollars weekly now. Nice, it's not bad, not a bad living at all. Almost seven hundred dollars a week. Yeah, that's pretty good. You could use seven hundred dollars a week. Exactly. It was said that the company saw him as ambitious and energetic, so he was promoted to a CPA quickly. Wow. I know. Things seem to be going great, right? Like, wow. It came to an abrupt stop, though, when his Army Reserve Unit was called to serve in the Korean War. He was a commissioned officer, which from what I read on the internet meant he had a position of authority, sort of. A quick Google search said that a commissioned officers give NCOs, non-commissioned officers, in lower ranks their missions. So, he wasn't super high up, but he was a little bit high up, I guess. Yeah, but he loved that. Yeah, and he was more proud of this position, even though he never saw war and spent most of his deployment, and I put that in air quotes, oh, in Virginia. 
because he was in Virginia during the Korean War. He was not in Korea. He was not in the Korea. Okay. But during this time in Virginia, he had a pretty different life change, I guess you could say. Oh. He would occasionally go out. He did somehow have friends with a few of his co-workers. And October 13th of 1951, John was at a bowling alley with two of the other officers he worked with when they saw two women nearby. Ted, one of the other officers he was with, started teasing the women like he was really flirting and joking with them about how bad at bowling they were, like how bad at bowling they were, and he was trying to show off and... Oh, he was hating them for for their bowling skills? Not like in a rude way, yeah, but he was like, ooh, baby, that went into the gutter or something, you know, and then like have to show off and just like strut back and like, that's how it's done, you know, and like wink at him. Remember when we went bowling? (laughs) (laughs) That is awful. I hate it. We're not good at bowling. I'm not. At all. Neither am I. I can't even really lift the ball like a carpal tunnel. (laughs) I do too. I'm only like 23. Wee. Okay, sorry. But they continued to show out, you know. Right. He just was flirting and having a great time. This was Ted now. And Ted started paying attention to one of the women who said her name was Helen Taylor. Mm -hmm. Helen was actually out with her sister, the other woman named Jean Seifert. Jean had taken Helen out in an attempt to cheer her up and take her mind off the fact that they had to bury Helen's husband, Marvin, only a day before. Dang. So she just lost her husband. How did Marvin die? You want to know how? Well, baby, I'm about to okay. tell you. He was actually killed in the Korean War six months before. Dang. So keep this in mind because this is another big thing. Mm. Marvin... Her husband dies in the Korean War six months before this encounter. His body was reluctantly handed back over to the United States for a proper funeral. So the Koreans gave it the body, right? Yeah. Helen was a 26-year-old widow with a daughter named Brenda and had been living with her parents. Ted kept trying to trap. Trap? Chat. Chance Helen up, so John tried talking to Jean. Jean was like, Hold up, swole up a marriage with a child. Direct quote, as the ladies at Morbid like to say. Yes, after she said that, you know, like I said. Instead of John backing down, he relaxed. He wasn't wanting to date her. He just wanted to have, like, a friendly conversation. That's right. So, Jean returned the friendliness. While they talked, Jean instantly thought how gentlemanly he was and how he might be a good candidate for her sister, Helen. Mm-hmm. So, Jean... Who just married her husband. Exactly. Okay. So, John starts trying to talk to Jean, and Jean's like, I'm married. Please leave me alone. And John's like, I'm not interested in you. I just want to be friends. And she said, oh, cool. You're not trying to get in my pants? Let's talk. So, that that thought, though, of Helen and John being a good match came way too late because Ted had actually already asked Helen out on a date before that. Oh. Well, Ted is all over it. Ted ain't come to bowl. He can't find him a wife. And he tried hard. Mm. They actually did have two or three dates, but Ted let it slip that he was actually married. Ted. Mm-hmm. You pig. Mm-hmm. 
And Helen dumped his ass so fast. Good. She says, we see. No, sir. Goodbye. After that, John decided it was his turn to try, so he called her. Okay. John was very thrilled when Helen agreed to go out with him. And later, Brenda says that, you know, earlier about the relationship, how Helen was in a bad spot and, quote, really destroyed over my dad's real death. And she had been seeing a lot of men. I guess she just settled on John, end quote. Been seeing a lot of men? How you gonna blast her what then? So, Brenda, her daughter, said after her dad's real death that, like, she was depressed, you know, of yeah. course. And she, so, she's basically saying John was really excited, but he shouldn't have been, like, ooh, finally me, because, like, she was going out with a ton of people. Like, she was, she right. missed Marvin. She wanted him back. She was. Well, right. She was just looking for some company. And... Exactly. Yeah. Helen and John did start dating, and she isn't too worried about John's inexperience with women because she herself had only dated one man, or slept with one man, which oh. was her late husband. Whoa, now we need to take it. They take it to the next level. So I'm just pointing that out. So okay. John obviously never been with women, never really had a girlfriend. Helen isn't like, oh, gross virgin. She's like, oh, that's fine. I wouldn't dig that. So, she's fine with it. Yeah, yeah. she's fine with it. Yeah. And it's because, like I said, she had only been with Marvin. And she was anxious to find a new husband. So, even though John was a little odd, stuck up, had his perks, he was also kind, educated, ambitious, supposedly. Can you, have, can you imagine having a man like that? He probably took care of all the chores and stuff. I know. He was so particular. And apparently had a really good future after the army. So Helen soon had My slept star? with John. Oh, oh, oh! I thought. Wait, what? Okay. What'd you say? I was, had a nice car. Oh, like a fancy wife. <laughs> My gosh, no, no sex. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. even though that John was super religious, this was against his religion. Big no, no, nee, 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 nee. He, just, he, he sleeps with Helen. He went for before it. Before marriage. Oh, that's so Premarital sex. Did he blame her for it? She seduced him. Just okay. uh -huh. It was a very big deal because this broke his personal vow of purity to himself. Oh. Not only to God or I'm assuming that's who they worship. Lutheran, I don't really know yeah, much about yeah. the Lutheran church. But yeah. not only did it break his vow to God, it was to himself. So that's just, just just out there. So Jean and her husband, coincidentally named Jean as well, spelled Excuse differently. Me? Yeah, spelled differently. <laughs> Jean, Jean, Jean and Jean started not really loving John all that much. Uh, the longer Jelen, <laughs> the longer Helen was with him, Jelen, Helen, Helen be Jelen, seriously. Jean said he never, this is the man, Jean, with, Jean with a G. Okay. Jean with a G, the brother-in-law. And, and brother -in -law. the woman, Jean, is J-E-A-N. Yep. Like, Jean's. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Jean with a G. Said he never really liked him, John, and described him as a mama's boy with feminine tendencies and said that he was a loser. Jean, with a J, on the other hand, said she still really seemed to like the fact that he was intelligent and seemed to have his head on straight, but he was very timid and introverted, which was the complete opposite of Helen. Oh. 
So I think she just started thinking like, oh, this might just not be a very good but match. But that usually balances. Not in this case. She also went on to say that John was stupidly in love with Helen, like, so head over heels, like, up freaking cessed Because they did it, you think? Probs. Yeah. <laughs> and, worse. well, and gave her whatever she wanted, spending money on her at the drop of a hat. Right. Jean said she knew her sister needed someone to be in control of her and the finances. Like, she needed a man. She needed some, uh, she needed someone to be the dominant. She did not need to be in control. Okay. I'm not good with money. I feel you. Helen. But Helen, she wanted to wear the pants in the relationship and John let her. Oh. Alma also didn't really approve of the relationship either. It said in the book that Helen was pressing for marriage and John was asking different people of their perspective of it. When all of a sudden... Helen tells everyone that she's pregnant. I was just sitting here thinking, does he get her pregnant out of wedlock? He was excited, but he also knew that he had to marry Helen now because she's pregnant. Yeah. They had been having sex. Now she's pregnant. So now on December 1st of 1951, Helen and John are married. This had been a little less than two months since they had met at the bowling alley. Golly. This all happened in two months. Wow. Like, I'm thinking, you know, a couple years. They dated. They jumped. They they got. Dove right on in. Alrighty. Before they were actually married, though, John said the only condition was that Helen had to join the Lutheran church. Right. When Alma met Helen, she was very disappointed in his choice of a wife. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. And shortly after they got married. Of course she was. We'll I mean, yeah. So come on. Like, let's get real. Yeah. What mother is happy with their, most of the time, happy with their son's right, right. life? Right. So. That, yeah. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> Shortly after they got married, Helen confessed she was not pregnant. Whoa, now, Helen, that is dirty. Sis. He allegedly this. wasn't bothered by that in the beginning and was she was like, oh, psych? Mm -hmm. Or she was like, who I thought I was, but it turns out I'm really not. I don't know. Huh. Uh, but he was, you know, he said he was still lucky to be married to someone so pretty is what he allegedly was allegedly. That's a shallow uh yeah. But it was also reported later that John believed he had been manipulated and later said in his memoir, quote, if that were the case, the web of deceit she wove certainly had tragic consequences, end quote. No, he did not say that. Yes, he did. So basically, he's saying that he feels like he was manipulated. He felt that Helena manipulated it him into getting married because she wanted to get married he was like hesitant about it not Mom, sure like her. precisely mm. but she says oh i'm pregnant knowing he's like oh, well now i'm gonna marry you now they get married and shortly after she says oh i'm not pregnant or i don't know if she lost the baby or if she was never pregnant in the beginning yeah but he like i said said he felt manipulated and then says if she did manipulate me into getting married to her in the beginning yeah. Didn't that have some consequences? Yeah. That's going to stay with you. You know, 
you're, you're building your, your relationship on uh, lies and deceit. Uh, I did look up the Lutheran church. Okay. If you all want to hear some of their, um, all right. Good segue. Lutherans believe that only the Holy scriptures hold authority in determining doctrine. Um, they maintain that salvation comes to humans by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Um, Lutherans affirm that Christ is the head of the church and that the Pope should not have divine authority over believers. Lutherans practice only two sacraments and believe that they're valid only as aids to faith. That's not what we're comparing it to Catholicism, which I guess it's kind of in the same, you know. The Lists family, so John and Helen, moved mm-hmm. to Michigan to be closer to Alma, and so John can accept a job in accounting over there. Mm-hmm. On So this is from Virginia. They were moving from, I believe, from Virginia to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, their luck turns south when John loses that job, and Helen suffered a series of miscarriages, real oh, miscarriages. No. This is after her and her late husband, Marvin, also had a baby boy die. Before he died. But January 8th, 1955, Patricia Morris List was born. Then October 21st of 56, the following year, John Frederick List was born. And finally, the baby, August 26th, one day before mine of 58, Frederick Michael List was born. They seemed to be the perfect, happy family, but it was far from that on the inside. Hmm. The longer Helen and John were together, the worse it seemed they got along. Helen was just downright ugly to John on multiple occasions and told John to his face that their marriage was not going to work out. Helen turned to drinking and John felt like she was miserable because he could not provide this lavish lifestyle that she had been used to and continued to expect. Helen and John simply just did not get along. And Helen stopped going to church, which John was completely against. And then Brenda, Helen's daughter with Martin, got pregnant at 16 and was sent to a home for unwed mothers. And that's, I think, the last we really kind of hear of Brenda, Mm -hmm. which I guess is good. She wasn't in the home when all of a sudden. Yes, yes, yes. In 1961, 10 years after they got married, the List family moved to Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. Things seemed to get better for a brief moment in time. John's new job had a better pay and good perks at Xerox. Helen started going back to church since she seemed happier. John was even put in charge of the Sunday school at church. But a running theme, uh, it didn't last for long. And Helen was back in her ways of belittling John. In the podcast, Father Wants Us Dead, the pastor of their church was actually walking by Helen when she told John that, quote, if you were half the man my first husband was, we wouldn't be having the troubles we're having. Yikes, I know she did. Yeah. Helen was a hot mess, Oh, yeah. So this is a good time to tell everyone that many people believe that Helen rightfully never got over Marvin because he abruptly died in a tragic way. And she had been with him since she was a teenager and just lost him unexpectedly. Mm. But whoa. Just first of all, to say that to your husband at all, but like at church around people. Yeah. Uh Uh-uh. There's a girl, there's a girl on Facebook. I love her right now. And she, she does that. She has her, her husband's deceased and she has a new husband. 
I just, I can't imagine that being a healthy relationship where you talk about how much you miss your, I mean, you're going to miss some, but uh, when you're remarried, it's like, you know, uh, yeah, that's I'm not hard. victim shaming. I swear. I wonder, I think it's but, just, they just didn't have time to get over it. Right. Right. Or at least in Helen's case, she didn't have six months. They just buried her husband the right. day before she met John List. And then two months later, she's married again. She didn't want to be by herself. Yeah. Hmm. but Helen did stuff like this often like not just at church this wasn't the first time it was all right. the time after this the pastor and the people of the church started realizing that neither Helen nor John were happy with how their spouses ended up they were mm-hmm. expecting completely different yeah. spouses Helen was very outspoken and, and extroverted she was a little bit slow less refined yeah and john was completely strict very conservative very religious i mean they were on two completely it just didn't work different people yeah completely different people completely different lifestyles beliefs morals everything yeah this was not one of those situations where opposites attracted and it's a happy life forever this was tornadoes hurricanes volcanoes whatever it was uh, just awful Another strange thing neighbors remembered about the Lists family while they lived in New York was super freaking weird. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Spill it. John List would come home in his suit and tie, like suit jacket, everything, like his accounting outfit. That's right. And cut their entire ass yard in a suit. <laughs> a push mower, you reckon? No. It was a riding mower, but still, like, suit. White shirt, tie, dress pants, Bloody, shiny black shoes, mowing the freaking yawn, lawn. This man's never just kicked back and relaxed. He was stressed, sun up to sundown, stuck Bless up, it. trying to maintain some bizarre, perfect image. Kathleen Charfellow, who goes by Kay, spoke with the ladies on the podcast and recalled some sad things about the list kids. Another mm. detail about their lives in New York. Kay was their neighbor at the time and recalled the kids running around unsupervised and starving for attention. Not food, but just attention. That's sad. Golly. She even suspected the kids were, oh, literally being starved. (gasps) Never mind. No way. I forgot about this part. They They ate supper with Kay and her husband often because John List was working 12-hour days and Helen was never seen. Uh Uh-uh. Drunk. Well, no, but we'll get into that in a moment. Mm -hmm. Like, literally in a few moments, I'm reading it on screen right now. Mm -hmm. So, no telling what she was doing. You have no telling what she was doing. They had no telling what she was doing. I have a telling. But Kay remembered one day specifically that the kids telling her that their grandmother was going to come stay with them because their mom was really sick and was in bed Mm 24-7. Hence, why she was never seen. Her health was on a steady decline, and no one really knew what was up. Mm-mm. By the mid-1960s, Helen never left the bed. She lost, which I didn't realize, but she actually lost sight in her right eye Dang. and was experiencing several neurological episodes where she would black out and fall down unexpectedly. Poison? I don't know what that is, but no. Poison? Oh. Oh, no, no. Oh, Helen was described as very attractive, but this disease she was battling turned her into a very hostile and messy woman. 
No. Can you guess what she was suffering from? Fibromyalgia? I don't know. <laughs> no. Does fibromyalgia do that to you? Uh, I hope not. Uh, no, no, no. Tourette's? What? She was cursing. No. Turritary. Turritary? Excuse me? Syphilis. Face right she now. lost vision in her right eye because of syphilis. Helen had actually she had been gotten the STD from Marvin, her late husband. How do we know that? She knew. Just hold up, Swan. All right, all right. This all right, is right, before right. John, before her marriage. She and she never told anyone. She never received help, which is why it was considered territory syphilis, tertiary, tertiary. That's what it is. I'm dumb. I'm sorry. Tertiary? I'm sure. Okay, so this lady knew something was wrong. Like, her lady parts must have been, that might have something to do with the miscarriages. Like, I... The kids have syphilis now? No, no, no listen. Okay. So, first of all, what That's a so winky dink that she's going around belittling John their entire marriage. But this wonderful war hero of a man, Marvin, cheated on her and gave her an STD. Yeah. Yes, sister. Time to eat a little crow. Mm -hmm. John didn't find out about this until the disease was already atrophying her brain. Stop it! Yes! She went without help. So this stage of syphilis doesn't happen until several, several years to a few decades after the onset of the disease. So Helen had at this disease probably for 15 to 20 That's plus years crazy. before John realized. I guess they didn't do well visits back then, eh? Hey. <laughs> Although it says this would have never killed her on its own, she could have continued deteriorating until she was basically nothing. It said that syphilis could present tumor-like masses all over the body, and if they happened to be on the brain or heart, it could cause serious issues like paralysis, blindness, wow. and dementia. I am also pretty surprised this wasn't passed on to her children like you were just yeah. saying. But I guess it could have been dormant, maybe. Right. I don't know. Really, yeah. I don't have syphilis. I don't know about the disease much. But, yeah. Did I ever tell you I used to teach the TAPS program about abstinence? And we talked about sexually transmitted diseases. I had to show these kids pictures of sexually transmitted diseases. And oh, no. Yeah. Wild, I remember it. I remember doing it in health in, like, 7th and 8th grade. Right. Yeah. But I kind of was like, Ooh. I don't remember any of the facts. I used to I know them though. Because of taps, not. Not because she's got it. No. <laughs> never, ever. Never, ever. Never, ever even thought I had it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've been doing a valley girl accent today. Oh gosh. Okay. Uh -huh. Wow. That's a, that's a real um, <laughs> curveball there. Yeah. <laughs> So, so surprise, shoddy, and we're not even to like even close to the murder. She had to tell. So keep that in mind. We mm. haven't even moved to New Jersey where they get murdered at. Oh. This is all before either. all this. Oh god! Has it been to another two months? <laughs> no, <laughs> ten years. I said. Oh, 
that's right. We're in 60. We're almost in 60. 61 or two. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. But because Helen's health was on the decline, like I said, she couldn't really work. Alma was going to help with a down payment on a house. And in turn, Alma would be allowed to live there for free because she helped with the down payment. Oh, goodness. Mom's moving in. Yikes. Okay. We know what Alma's like, too. Yeah. So, when John List lost his job at Xerox, he did what he thought he did best. He picked up, moved, and started over. And before I begin on where they moved to, it is important to know that John List struggled with his personality, which in turn affected his work relationships and him losing jobs. Yeah. Because if you remember, this is at least his second job he was fired from, but he gets fired from every job he ever has. Stephen Simmering, a psychiatrist who interviewed List later in prison, read tons of articles about him. He was a lot in the podcast, the episode, the book, everything. Um. He said it was just him. Like, it was just John List. John was great at what he did, but he had, like, he just had a horrible personality. Yeah. He couldn't get along with people. His co- his coworker said, like I said, they just couldn't get along with him. People did not like him. He was uptight. He was strict. Dirty, yeah. Condescending, mm-hmm. I can imagine. So, he was getting fired because of his personality, not because he couldn't do his job. Right. So, John List got a job at First National Bank as a vice president in Jersey City. And John has this awesome job, so he's wanting to get a proper home to settle into in the new city he's moved into and gotten a house in. Right. He decided he liked Westfield especially because it had a Lutheran church that he was used to and a... I'm not even going to say that because I don't even... A periodical school? Per, per. Let me see. I'm just... um No. Parochial is how I think you say what it. What is that? I don't... Google it. Keep going. Parochial Google. school that he liked. Anyways, he moved to Westville because there was a Lutheran church and there was a school that he liked. Helen fell in love with Breeznell, a $50,000 mansion. Wow. Yeah. All right. A parochial school. Let's see how to pronounce it. I could be wrong, friends. A primary or secondary school supported by a religious organization. Cool. Private religious school run by a church or parish. Why? Come on. Parochial. Parochial. (laughs) So parochial, it's like it would be like a Catholic school. Okay. Or the Lutheran school, I guess. Exactly. (laughs) Breeze Knoll was a beautiful 18 or 19 room. I saw that in different sources. Room mansion located at 431 Hillside Avenue. The centerpiece of this home was a beautiful ballroom with a Tiffany glass ceiling that actually, yeah. So this was a beautiful, gorgeous home. I can't wait to see. But the ceiling, I don't think anyone knew the ceiling was there until way later. This was like covered up. It was a covered up ceiling. Covered up Tiffany glass ceiling? Who would do that? I don't know, and I can't remember, so I don't want to talk about it right now, but we'll talk about it later on because something happens to the mansion and they discover it. It was a gorgeous house that they both loved, even though it was definitely out of their price range and they couldn't really afford it. Mm. But, of course, they were accustomed to the high life, so they bought it anyways. Mm. With the help of Alma's down payment. 
John and Helen both wanted to uphold a specific image that was wealthy and successful. Mm -hmm. They thought the only way to put this image off was to buy the most expensive and biggest house in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. John ends up having to take out a second mortgage to renovate the third floor into Alma's apartment, which is another thing that he couldn't really afford to do. Yeah. There was never any explanation as to why John felt like he had to have the nicest and most expensive things other than just how he grew up. Yeah. He could have had a really nice life in a modest home, you know, three, four bedroom, modest home, and probably avoided a lot of the stress that he put on himself, but Mm. he had to show off and he had to be the best. Mm. And soon it goes very, very south for John List. Mm. Fired again. Within a year. You just said it. Uh, It was described as a public relations job. And as we know, he's very off-putting to say the least. Okay. So instead of finding another job because he was too embarrassed to tell Helen he was fired, John continued to wake up, put his suit on, go into the city, and sit at the train station. Bless it. That always just tear. Oh, goodness. This man gets fired from this great job. And instead of going, yeah, 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 yeah. He's just going to sit at the train station all day long. Now, not once did he think he should just try and go find a job. No matter the job, you know, it didn't have to be an accounting. But you needed to make some money. But no, I'm going to go hang out at the train station. Come on. If I were drowning in bills like it says he were, I'd be... Like I said, trying to get anything I could. Well, you know, as an adult, you kind of have to get to the point where you're comfortable with, you know, failure. And especially for John, as many times as he had been fired, it's like, buddy, embrace it. Yeah. Okay? This is your life. So find another job, make some more cheese, you know, you're going to lose the house, whatever. Well, the thing is, is like working at a fast food restaurant or a lower paying job is a lot less embarrassing than losing your house. Like, right? And who cares? Who is really exactly really following John from city to city, worrying about if he's working at not working as an accounting person, CPA or whatever? So it's so weird. He just he just never also wanted to ask for help, and he could never tell Helen no. He continued buying Helen whatever she wanted, despite the fact that they didn't have the money to keep this up. I don't know. Credit cards back then, I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, He never, he also, like I said, was very prideful and never wanted to get government assistance like unemployment. Yeah. He does eventually accept a job selling life insurance policies, but unfortunately for his but unfortunately for John, his personality oh, kept him from thinking, succeeding. Like, no, you're not a salesman. He, yeah, he wasn't selling. I mean, to no one's surprise, he wasn't selling very many right. policies, and the family was quickly, quickly going broke. Mm. He claimed later that he borrowed from Alma, but she ended up having to cut him off. But yet she's living in this house? Yeah. Okay. They get a letter stating they are going to foreclose on their home soon. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse for John List. Mm. Also, keep in mind, this entire time they're living in New Jersey, people didn't really love John List. I like his neighbors here didn't really love him either. Right. Um, he was said to have been the neighbor that's like, get off my lawn, as if he were like an 82 year old man yeah. standing on the porch in bathrobe. That's that. what I picture. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Except mm. for he's always in a suit. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> 
Uh, so he literally was once said to have chased two kids away from his property. Like, he had been known to pick up rocks and throw them at kids. He wouldn't throw a rock at my kid. No, sir. He was nuts. He hmm. even threw rocks at a neighbor's donkey. At a neighbor's Yeah. One of the first interactions any of the lists had with people in their new neighborhood was when a father and son came over to introduce themselves and bring them an apple pie. Welcome to the neighborhood, you know. Yeah. But when John opened the door, he basically said, thanks, but no thanks. He told them that they liked to keep to themselves over at his house and insinuated that he wanted to be left alone. He didn't even take the pie? I don't think so. What a punk. He was a jerk and didn't really like kids. Like, he didn't want his kids around others. Helen, on the other hand, was described as super sweet, apparently, though, which is strange. I mean, not strange, but she was sweet when she was seen, I guess. I don't really know. Yeah. Well, hmm. so strange. I'm still thinking about pie. You know you can't say pie around me. Oh, my gosh. Well. We slice. We don't got no. No, we don't. Well, let's talk about the kids while we're at it. Okay. As I said, there was three of them, and a few of the neighbors described them as innocent and naive. They weren't very socialized, as you can imagine, and basically were kept under a rock. The kids were protected, but in a very cold sense of the word. It wasn't loving, it was controlling. Mm. The boys would want to go play with neighbors in the, you know, neighbors in the neighborhood. And, like, do different outside games and stuff. And they were always welcome to do so, but they weren't very good at it and were more than likely never really, you know, picked last. I think they were like picked last and or pick up You know they were weird. They were strange. They were awkward. You got Yeah. Uncoordinated. Yeah. They were. I know you just say college kids are coordinated. (laughs) (laughs) What? That's what it sounds like. They were a little more nerdy and straight-laced than the other kids. One guy, was, when he was talking about them, was giggling because he remembered them wearing white socks, which is apparently not in style. Then they would wear, like, shin-high socks yeah. like, with their shoes, that's which I guess so... was goofy back then. Was, I mean, it's goofy now to me. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's so what these that kids, style that's for what all these babies do with, with the tall socks on with their sneakers. I'm just like, no, stop. Oh, uh, the Nike ones, I think they're, I mean, you know, I, mean it's, I guess I grew up with that style. So. Okay, with your young self. Yeah. Fred was shy. Uh, he was the shyer one out of the two boys. And Fred was the youngest, right? Yes. Frederick. Um, but he was also sweet, and he was also a great kid. He and it, I thought you were about to say a great kisser. <laughs> <laughs> why would you what? know that? And why is that relevant to this? Story? How would I know that? Okay. And why okay. would I bring it up? <laughs> I don't know, but somebody's showering in there, and it's weirding me out. <laughs> that we don't know who and they won't answer. Browsers. Also, Fred had a lisp. I don't know why that's relevant Aww. to the story, but they mentioned it in my research. People probably poke fun at him. I'm sure. John Jr. was described as super nice, well-mannered, and smart. Patty, the oldest and uh-huh. the only daughter, was a little different, though. 
She was described as outgoing and more socialized. Mm-hmm. She wasn't as awkward as her brothers or father. She made friends easily and quickly. Nice. And some sources of the list murders depicted Pat, like Patty as a bad or rebellious girl, but that isn't quite the case. Mm-hmm. Rhonda Hanson, one of Patty's best friends in middle school, said that her and Patty started smoking cigarettes and skipping school, which is normal for back oh, then, of course. Right. And sometimes they even went back to Patty's house during the day. And Helen was bedridden, so no one would ever catch them. Huh. But even a few times, Helen did know they were there, and the girls would just go sit up in their room and talk with her all day long. Yeah. Around the time you they No, were... Helen was going crazy in there. I'm sure. And, yeah, just to have, like, a... Somebody to talk to. Yeah. That's whatever. not her awkward-ass husband. Husband. Sheesh. Um... About the time she was 15, Patty joined a community theater group and she realized that she really had a love for theater and acting. And John hated that. He did not want her playing any adult roles and he thought it was a waste of time. One of her drama club friends from school said she was one of the more innocent teens. So she... They say that she didn't really drink or experiment with drugs. But friends did say she tried marijuana, but it wasn't anything more than that. So she wasn't going crazy. Right. Her other bestie, Susan Cousins Jankowitz, said that she noticed that Patty was torn up about upsetting her dad. Like, she really enjoyed acting, but she was also upset at the fact that she knew it displeased her father. She wanted to pursue her own dreams, but she was disappointing her dad. And she also told Rebecca Everett, this is Susan, the friend, talking that... Right. Um, Susan Cousin Shrankowitz. Yep. She was talking to Rebecca Everett, which was the interview on the podcast, and she was telling her yeah. all of this information. Another thing that I wanted to add in our podcast from the Father Wants Is Dead podcast was yep. that Patty actually did have a boyfriend shortly before her death that many people didn't know about. Okay. So, credits to Father Wants Is Dead for the next couple of informations. Okay. Thank you. Again, like I said, I really wanted to mention things from out the podcast um, throughout this episode and part two because newsflash, I haven't even gotten to the day of the murders, <laughs> like I said earlier. So, there's a lot of... There's a lot of information, and I want to give you as much detail as I can, but I can't. So, I want to reference this podcast and encourage you to go listen to their podcast Mm -hmm. themselves. Check out the website. They have all of the photos that I'm going to be sharing and some... Some photos I'll get from Google, but most of them, like the crime scene photos, all that, that's all coming from them. So, Father wants us dead. Yes. So, awesome. But yes, Patty did have a boyfriend a lot of people did not know about. His name was Chris Day. He was actually 20 years old when they got together. And a really kind of sad fact, he was actually one of her pallbearers. Yeah. Uh, He said that many of his close friends didn't even know that they were together because of their age difference. Because she had just turned 16 when they were together in March of 71. They ended up breaking it off later that summer in part to John hating Chris because of his age, which, of course, he hates him. Like, get, let's get real. He would hate him regardless. Yeah. But. He wasn't in college. He wasn't a Lutheran. Whatever. Mm-hmm. They did remain friends until her death. Mm-hmm. Um, The fall before everything went down, though, 
they actually were starting to kind of rekindle their relationship. And the last weekend that she was ever alive, they were together. Mm-hmm. Chris said in the Father Once Dead podcast that he ended up inviting another friend of theirs to ride along. And his friend was another girl. And they were just friends, but he did invite her to ride. Later on, he realized it upset Patty because she wanted to be alone with him. Okay. And he he kind of really hung on to that. He said something in the podcast about being really upset about it because he didn't realize it was going to hurt her so bad. Yeah. Another thing that happened only shortly before her death was her friend Rhonda I mentioned earlier. They were actually forbidden from hanging out with each other. Oh. Both of their fathers thought the other was a bad influence. (laughs) But do you think that stopped them from seeing each other? Hmm. Of course not. One day that summer, they snuck off to go do something together. Well, that something was walking around after midnight hollering and having a good time. Oh. And people ended up calling the police. <laughs> hollering and having a good They were hollering time. and having a good time. They were listening in the distance and they didn't approve of the ruckus. So mm. they called the police. And the police ended up picking both of the girls up and bringing them to the station, calling their parents, making them wait at the station. What you reckon they were saying? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Being that they were both minors, like I said, they had to wait until their parents picked them up. John rolled up to the station in a full suit. This is after midnight. Keep in mind. So he puts on a full ass suit. He ain't even got no job at this point, does he? No, he couldn't he couldn't just throw on something like this on to go pick his kid Come up on, after midnight. Man. No, he's putting a full suit on. Pissed off. He starts screaming at Patty in the police station and then walked up to Rhonda and said, quote, you're a bitch as well as a witch, end quote. Whoa, now he would call me no bitch and then a witch. No. At 16. Stop it. Another child. Mm -mm. Was her father in there? Well, he he came in after. Uh -uh. Yeah. I don't think. Well, he might have been in there now. Actually, I don't. I didn't know that in my notes, but he was. He was there or he was there right after there. Mm. One more thing to note about Patty and one more thing to to note that John was not happy about at all was the fact that Patty considered herself to actually be a practicing witch. Oh. So that comment might have had some story to it. Okay. Yeah, but her friends actually said that they were freaked out by it. They and they they were like, mm, you know, but she still talked about it and still considered herself a practicing witch, I suppose. All right, Patty. It wasn't the strangest thing that came out in all the interviews that I listened to, but it's something to note. Mm-hmm. Patty was frightful of what her father might do in the last months of her life as well, and she voiced that concern to others. Really? Yes. Aww. See, she suggested to friends that they run away together in the last month or two of her life. And told people that her father was making wills for them. He had asked them if they wanted to be buried or cremated when they died. Woo! Yeah. John List said later in an ABC News article Mm. that he thought he was being real clever. He literally said being real clever. Mm -hmm. This idiot was just casually asking his children after supper one night, hypothetically speaking, if you died in a few weeks, would you want to be cremated or buried? Yeah. What a boob. Cremating is cheaper, by the way. He told them that? I don't know. Yes? No, I don't know. <laughs> but for real, like, right. can you, ex- like, do you really what? expect them to not be concerned if you're asking me right now if I should be buried or cremated? If I die, hypothetically speaking, if you got in a scary train wreck in a week. Get real. What? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. 
And I do think you should have these conversations, but I guess, like, some other things were... Going down. Yeah. yeah. If you put it into context of who he is and... Well, and not mm-hmm. even a month before her murder, she said to Susan she felt like something bad was going to happen. Like, she didn't mention any details, but she told Susan that she was just worried. Mm-hmm. And her friend Rhonda, remember Patty saying she knew her dad wanted her and her brothers dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chris said 48 hours, so two days before the murders happened, he said that he remembered seeing the boys playing with John in the ballroom. And this stood out to him to this day because, one, the ballroom was never used. There was not furniture in it. Like, it was very weird to see it being in action, I suppose. Like, the kids probably played a few games in there, but it wasn't really being used. Right. And, two, John was playing a game with his children. Yeah. Strange. Mm-hmm. This cold, serious, stuck-up man was actually playing a game and interacting with his kid. Chris said that he believed it was a show to appear like he was a loving father, so when his family would later go away, because that's the excuse he thought he was going to be able to use, Yikes. John would only have one witness to say that he was a semi-good dad. Mm. Well, in October of 1971, a month before the murders, John List sitting in the parlor while his entire family slept. He was, like, stressed out. Planning it? Like, well, just hold up. Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. He was crumbling under all of these issues he was facing. He had no job. The bills were piling up. His wife wasn't coming to church. His daughter was a self-proclaimed witch, and she loved theater. It was just a hot mess express. Real life, John Liss. This is real life. Yeah, and he thought that all of these things were against the Lutheran church. This was not how it was supposed to be. And so he had to start weighing his options. Mm-hmm. He was like, I mean, I could abandon the family, but then he knew that Helen would not be able to care for the children. And what about as- his mother? Well, especially since she didn't work due to her illness. Right. Logically speaking, he could have, like I said, early gotten government assistance, but no. John was too prideful. Yeah. Every time he thought of another solution to his issue, there was always a problem problem with the, the solution. Right. Except for one. Sending his entire family to heaven, is what he called it. By murdering them, of course. Uh, Now, I do not know where in his brain he thought murder was the only option or that it was going to be okay with the church. Because remember, he had to be the good Lutheran family man. I mean, after all, he was the Sunday school teacher. But no, murder, that was his option. That's the one he stuck with. Slaughtering his his sick wife, his elderly mother, and their three innocent children. Wow. Now. Here we are, guys. The long-awaited day. Okay. We are on the day of the murder. November 9th, 1971. Mm-hmm. John woke up at 5.30 a.m. like he always did and went downstairs to make breakfast or eggs for the family as he sent them off to school. Strange for him making breakfast. For oh, them. really? Mm-hmm. All kids are gone by 8 o'clock-ish and the milkman delivered their milk by 9 that morning. At this time, it was said that the List family actually owed the milkman about $177. So he was expecting a check or some cash in the box. But instead, he received a note written by John saying he was canceling delivery until further notice. That was the first box checked off of the list. Next, John admits in his memoir that Helen came downstairs, grabbed a cup of coffee, and sat at the table. He goes and grabs his guns. Then he walks into the kitchen puts the pistol up to the back of her head, and pulled the trigger. What? Just like that? Just like that. One shot. She instantly slumped over to the floor. 
He wow. ran upstairs to his mom where he found her cooking breakfast. She greeted him with a kiss and he said at that moment he felt like Judas. Oh, this guy. She asked what the loud noise was because remember, she's 82 years old. Right. She or, can't run downstairs. Exactly. Yeah. And she probably can't hear from three floors right. up here, but she just hears something faint. Yep. And he was like, oh, nothing. And then he shot his mother in the face. <gasps> While looking at her? Can you imagine? He left his mother in a contorted position on the third floor because he said, quote, she was too heavy to move, end quote. In his Gosh. memoir, he claimed a shot. he shot all of them in the back of the head and that they never knew it was coming. But according to autopsy reports and detective statements, that is not true for all of his victims. And like I said, Alma was one that was shot in the face. Oh, my God. He just doesn't like to admit it. No, I bet he does that. So, he just shot his mother, who we just talked about for two hours, <laughs> about how close they were. Yeah. Just shot her. Mm. And he, and the thing is, is, he goes upstairs and he's like, I felt like Judas. Because he knew he was about to kill her. And he just Please. kissed his mother. And he, he shot her in the face. While she was looking at him. Crazy. Next, he had to start cleaning up. That was the next check off the box. He dragged Helen's body to the ballroom and put her on a sleeping bag near the door. She was the body that was laying horizontal. Uh-huh. He started mopping up her blood from the kitchen floor. <gasps> he stated he had to mop it up three to four times before it was clean. He also stated that since they didn't have a rop. A mop wringer. He had to wring it out blood from the mop by hand. Yikes. He wrung out his wife's blood from their mop by oh, hand. God. Multiple times. Oh. No emotions. Mm-mm. Then in the middle of all of this, he's like, oh, it's lunch. I'm hungry. I gotta make a sandwich. Ew, stop. Yeah, and he eats a sandwich. Uh... He he sat down at this table that his wife was just sitting at, that he just murdered his wife at, and ate a sandwich. And yeah. then he said he learned that he 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 said later on that he was he had learned that he was able to eat in not ideal situations from being in the military. Okay, chief, you're a nut <laughs> for real. Okay, he made sure to send letters and messages to the kids' schools part-time bosses, and the newsboy saying that they were going out of town for an extended period of time. Don't mm-hmm. worry about us. Mm-hmm. He then went to the bank and cashed Alma's last $2,000 worth of saving bonds and had the teller calculate the interest rates right in front of him, making sure he got every penny he could. Isn't that goofy? Oh, if I was a teller and he came up to me, I'm like, John List, sir, Listen. I know how to do my job. Yeah. I had a... Step out of my line. I cash checks for somebody... Not too long ago, and mm. they were like, it's supposed to be this much. And I was like, do you want me to calculate it for you, sir? Ding, 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 ding. Here it is. Okay. Get out my window. Me. Thank you. <laughs> Master Teller, get out my face. Master Teller. Yes, that's your title. <laughs> that's my title. It literally says it. Yeah. Master. Shortly after noon, he started preparing to murder his children. He said that he felt no remorse and never second-guessed any of his actions. Mm. Patty actually signed herself out of school around noon that day because she said she had cramps and then went to a sub shop down, downtown. Go to get her a sub? Yeah. And her dad actually picked her up from the sub shop. They drove home, and as they were walking into the kitchen, he shot her in the left side of the face, and it killed her instantly. Uh. He dragged her body into the ballroom and placed her on another sleeping bag near her mother, and he started to clean the blood up again. Next, John picked 
Fred up that afternoon. So the youngest. How old was Fred? 13. That's right. 13. Before leaving work that afternoon, he had actually called asking why Patty never showed up because they worked together. And mm-hmm. then after this conversation, he hung the phone up and he was actually le- like he left to meet his dad. So he called his dad asking where Patty was. His dad said something, you know, on the phone with him and he leaves work. Mm-hmm. They walk in the back door and in the, to the kitchen when John puts the gun near his face and shoots, killing him instantly. He again dragged the body into the ballroom, put him beside his sister on a sleeping bag, and then cleaned up the blood and prepared to kill the only living member of the family left, John Jr., the son who was named after him. Mm. It was said that it was it is unsure if he actually picked John Jr. up from soccer practice that afternoon or if it was or if John was John Jr. was dropped off at home. But in an interview, List confirmed that he actually had gone to watch John Jr.'s game that afternoon and even commented saying that he had played a good game before taking John Jr. home. So mm-hmm. List himself said that he went and picked him up. But it differed in sources. But coming from List himself, yeah. there we have it. Oh. Settle, I settled the debate. Settled. It is done. John Jr. walked in the door into the laundry room and placed his things there when his father came in, hot, shooting at him. He hadn't even taken his jacket or his gloves off yet before he started being, like, getting shot at. He's also the only victim who was shot multiple times. Ten times, to be exact. John said in his memoir that he shot him so many times because that he kept moving. And he never admitted it was because John Jr. actually fought back. But that's See, what that's detectives what thought. Yeah. yeah. He just said he kept moving. But detectives believe John Jr. Yeah. fought back. He did eventually kill his son and dragged him into the room by his feet. The ballroom by his feet. Laid him on the last sleeping bag beside his siblings. And he covered his face with a rag. And when looking at the crime scene photos, the blood, bloody drag marks are John Jr.'s because he didn't even bother cleaning up after him. Yeah. After he planned out and murdered each one of his family members, he recalled feeling something like the empty feeling after sex. What? He just that's yeah. what he said. Equated murder to With the feeling after sex. Nothing. That's what he. Nothing. That's what he says. Nothing. He felt nothing. Didn't you know what? Didn't you want to know what he did? I hate him. I hate him. Do you want to know what he did? Tell me. Prayed. Don't tell me for forgiveness. I'm not going to go in to read his entire prayer, but if you want to hear it, you can go check out the podcast episode four. But basically, he prayed to prayed to God to accept his family into heaven and telling him that they were innocent, like. No shit, Sherlock. We all know that they were innocent. Yeah, right. (laughs) And John then goes to clean his pistols that he shot the entire family with. And then started to pack his bags. He sits down to write letters, or a letter to the pastor. Mm -hmm. The last thing he needed to do before ditching Westfield and his dead family was to call the family, his the family across the street, the Bader family, uh, his kids carpooled with them in the morning. So he needed to call them uh-huh. and tell them, you know, they won't be. Sorry, they're school. all dead. Yeah, well, he sure didn't say that. Know. No. Yeah. Fred's best friend entered the call and John asked to speak with their mother, who was actually not home. 
and then told him to tell his mom to not pick the kids up in the morning because they were going down in the Carolinas to visit with their sickly grandmother. He said he was going down in the morning and they would call when they got back because they were unsure of how long they planned on staying. Then he eats supper and goes to bed with five dead bodies in the house. That just, that always blows my mind. He just goes night, night. Mm-hmm. Then he woke up the next morning, ate breakfast and left the mansion for good. Gone into the wind. Poof. Bye. <laughs> in that interview, he was talking about the murders and how he felt afterwards and all. But he was, like, giggling, too. It was really weird in, like, the American Justice interview. He said he tried to make no wound of suffering. And and he was trying to, like, say how compassionate he was because he claimed that none of them suffered. <laughs> and after murdering them, he wanted everyone to know that he slept better the night he killed his family compared to the night before everything happened. And then after he left the house, that's why he let, he left the lights on and the music on. Because he wanted to deter intruders. Uh-huh. But this guy is just... Phew. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Um. So, this is where we're actually going to stop today. We're finally here. We're finally into part one. <laughs> so, part two. So, we're stopping with him leaving the house. We're going to pick up part two next week with them actually finding the bodies and about a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, the life that John Liss created for himself after he the murders. Create a life. And Ugh. his capture. So spread the news like Wildflower Baby because part two's coming back at you and it gets crazier and crazier. So that's Nice. This was a really long episode, and it's probably going to be a very nice one to, uh, and that was sarcasm to to um, edit, edit, but we'll see. It, it was a lot, but here we are. Maybe we're a little bit more put together in part two. Are we doing part two today? We don't have to. No, I mean, we can't. I'm down. Okay. We'll close this out, sweeter. Oh, who, me? Um, no, the guest here. Here. Alicia. Let's see. So, Remember, check us out on Facebook, right? Ill Natured Podcast. Yes, that's right. Ill Natured Podcast. The Instagram. At Ill Natured Pod. Check us out on TikTok. At Ill Natured Pod. Email us. Yahoo. Yep, Yahoo. It is a Yahoo. Ill Natured Podcast at Yahoo.com, right? No, it's Ill Natured Pod at Yahoo.com. Because I tried to send you an email and then it bounced back. <gasps> Maybe we're giving out the wrong email. This entire time? No. Hang on, hang on. Illnaturedpod at yahoo.com. I just did illnatured at yahoo.com. It's illnaturedpod at yahoo.com. Okay, so we aren't getting emails. Okay, so anywho. What else? What else have we got? We want you to rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. Um, Do all the things. Tell your friends, tell your friends, mamas, um, daddies, I don't know. Everyone. Yeah, we've had a lot of people telling other friends, tagging people. It's really good. So. Yes, I love it. We appreciate all the support. We do. Continue listening. Thank you so much. Hang in there with us. We're still, like, trying to, like, I know we've been doing this for a few months now. We're still trying to get good at putting our, I am trying to put our episodes together. I feel like it's good when I write it down and then I go to speak and I'm like, I have See, I'm issues. going. I'm going back to bullet points again. I started with bullet points, then I was like, "No, I'm going to write it all out." But I think the bullet points is the way to go for me. 
Um, yeah, as long as I organize them correctly. And I've been been working on We're going to find it, though. We're, I'm going to find that sweet spot that works perfect. I just know it. I want to be able to verbally tell y'all my cases for you to understand. Well, see, that's me. And I, I, I do enough I don't research lose y'all. for them. Me too. But, I just feel like I sound dumb. Well, <laughs> Did bullet that? Because I want somebody to talk it to me. I don't want somebody to read it to me. You know, for me, I don't know. Mm. Well, anyway, we'll figure it out one day. We will one day. Just, Just hang keep in it. There. Yeah, please, hang Lord, have mercy. Don't leave us. Don't so that's all for 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 today's for today'sies. Mm-hmm. Check us out on Tuesdays at midnight. Yes, and uh, stay fresh, cheese bags. Peace.